Welcome to The Kindness Project, the podcast designed to share stories of kindness and share how kindness can make positive change in our world, one small act at a time. On this episode of The Kindness Project, we talk about clothes, valentines, and we have part one of our interview with Grant Mason from the Essex Wildlife Trust. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, others, to the... Other? <laughs> Who's other? I hope you don't include a in that other. <laughs> Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, hotheads, <laughs> to the Kindness Project. Um, um, we're <laughs> one of them can wear hats, one of the other can't. It's Chris Dames and Russell Dames. And I'm joined by a girl who clearly thinks it's all right to come to work in a blanket. Um, it's Charlotte Dames. I mean, Russ, would you come to work in a big... What is that? It's my schnud. Schnud. And this is my own home. And it's five I, in the afternoon on a Sunday. I thought schnud was like a, a like balaclava thing. Is that is that what that's called, is schnud? I quite I like so. that. I quite like the look of that. I'd give yeah, that I've, got, I've got like three of them. They're great. Yeah, I'd give I can, I can see you knocking around the house dressed like that. Yeah. Well, Russ. <laughs> I mean, literally, they are the most casual of casual wear. <laughs> yeah, and I, I quite you, like them. Would you say they were pajama? Well, I I wear them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> would you Would you wear one out in the street? If I'm not comfortable, if I'm at home and I'm not wearing something comfortable, I'll tell you what I'm wearing off. Put this on. Exactly, Russ. What do you wear when you're um, <laughs> at home trying to get comfortable? I know this is going to be a rabbit hole, but. I usually go top this hard. <laughs> <laughs> is that because you're heart, head in your heart balls? <laughs> is that why? I know, I know that. You knew you were gonna get. You knew you were gonna get a bit of stick inside that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you just you just moved around top this, do you? Yeah, it's wander around top this. Yeah. How about bottoms? What do you do about bottoms? Oh, trap bottoms. Trap trap bottoms and just completely naked. <laughs> do uh, any uh, baby oil? No, no baby oil. <laughs> mayo? No, no mayo. All right, okay. Oh, fair enough. I like mayo. How about, how about when it... Uh, now, we spoke on the podcast for about your um, uh, your natural heat sensitivity. Does that apply just to the head or does that apply to the entire body? No, I, I get very warm at home. <laughs> You want more one of these then? They're designed to keep you warm. Russell, would yeah. you like me to take that shovel off you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> I've just, I've just, it's just, Russ is the gift that keeps giving. He's just like, this is what I get for being honest. Uh, no, no, we love your honesty. We absolutely love it. So, but, but why we would you We appreciate you sharing, Russ. Why, why would you wear, look to wear one of them though? Because sometimes when it's really cold... Oh, really cold. In the morning, so usually if I put the heating on, I'm in a new build. Yeah. So if I haven't had the heating on, it gets really hot. Yeah. But in the morning, <laughs> it's really cold. And then what would you do if you were wearing one of them shoots and uh, it started getting hot? I'd take it off. Okay, clearly. <laughs> Just walk around the house like, you know, the magic mask, yeah? That's it. That's it, job done. Have you got have you got neighbours? Yeah, I've got neighbours. Yeah. You ever scared the neighbours, Russ? <laughs> We're not overlooked, no. <laughs> Fair enough. No, no worries. Right, and, 
and I am I am trying to think of a really good connection to make to uh to the this week's version of the podcast, and maybe Kelly likes this sort of thing. But the question of the podcast is, what's the most romantic thing that you've ever done for somebody, or has uh you know somebody's done for you? And is your one walk around the house naked for Kelly Russ? No, no. Oh, okay. No. What's the most romantic thing you've ever done? I'm not. I'm not overly romantic, so. Fair enough. How about you, Charlotte? Has anybody done anything romantic for you? No, not really. We're not big romantics in the at the Kindness Project, clearly, because um, Cassie is amazing. I've got to say, she she has done some romantic stuff. Um, this is in connection to the Valentine's Day stuff, though, isn't it? It is. It well, is. Valentine's Day doesn't have to be romantic, does it? It can be just loving your friends, loving your family. I, you, you know what? I think Valentine's Day can be as broad as you want it to be. Yeah, exactly. So tell me about your what, what you think Valentine's Day is about for you. Just <laughs> telling the people you love you love them. I, genuinely, I think one of the things that we could all do more and i've tried to do more over the last couple of years if you do love somebody tell them you love them because <laughs> i think all too often we are reticent to communicate that because it feels a bit awkward but i think does we it? should all uh, does it I, you know what you're saying does it because i don't we in in our family we've never been shy to say that have we but there are certain families that think where that isn't said. And when I speak to somebody who hasn't had that, they say that they probably didn't hear it enough. Um, so I think it is a nice thing to do. So I say it practically every time I leave the room. I know, I know. How about you, Rose? You're, you're not, are you, are you comfortable with that language or not? I'm not really keen on that. <laughs> It's what works for you, Russ. Whatever works for you, Russ. But I think I tell, tell Kelly I love my regular. How often? Usually when I want something. <laughs> <laughs> Which is quite often. Yeah, I tell you what, you're not painting yourself as a particular um, <laughs> like partner of the year, Russ. Let's be honest. This is not going well for you today. Firstly, we have the uh, we have the wander, wandering around the house, either super warm or super cold. <laughs> and now you're in a position where you're you, you're not um, you're not romantic. But I bet you any money you like, Charlotte. We have got plenty of romantic listeners, mm. um, so we are uh, looking forward to hearing from you. And you can get in touch with us in the following ways. So on Twitter, we're at Ola Kindness. On Facebook, if you type the Kindness Project into the search bar, you, we will come up. If we don't, why not? Sorry. Right to Google. Right to Google. I, and find I was out. actually talking about Facebook. Right to Facebook. Right to Mark Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg personally and go, I'm looking for the Kindness Project. Why are they not showing up? Uh, if you want to find our website, it's www.thekindnessproject.co.uk, which should have all of the... Social media, yeah, linky dinks. Anyway, it's got the linky dinks. I don't know why we call it the linky dinks now, um, but it's it's got the linky dinks. The other the other thing you can do, and I was doing this the other day, Russ, is listen to any one of our now hundreds of podcast episodes. And I was listening to a selection of some of my personal favourites uh, the other day. On what device? Sorry. On what device? Uh, I was doing it on my PC. 
You always forget the Alexa, though. Yeah, you forget all you have to do. Russell, we've got an Alexa quite close to us, so if you didn't mind. Alexa, what's the definition of a hot head? My one's going off now. (laughs) (laughs) It does. No, it doesn't know. Um, but yeah, you know, no, you can listen to the Kindness Project on Alexa. Um, I am trying to trigger it, trigger it and see what it does now. Um, but saying Alexa, play the Kindness Project podcast, I think is what you'd uh, what you'd say. Um, and then and then we just pop up. So if you're in your kitchen or sort of you've got an Alexa in your, or, in your or lounge, yeah, wandering around your house without your top on. <laughs> All you're doing is uh, using your freedom to wander around your house topless and you're a bit bored and you want to listen to a podcast. All you need to go is, Alexa, is it right that I'm topless in the middle of February wandering around my house? Um, uh, Alexa's, Alexa's got an answer for that one. I can hear, hear her in the background. Or um, Alexa, just play the Kindness Project podcast and it will come on. So, so feel free to do that at your leisure. Um, and I, I can now hear. Um, Here's a popular playlist: pop singles on Amazon Music. <laughs> oh, apparently we've got some pop singles on Amazon <laughs> Music now. And on, on that note, um, let's move on with the show. And we've got. We've clearly not got. Uh, 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 but we, we've clearly got a man who's struggling to open his phone. Uh, uh, we've gone. Uh, uh, um, turning some sort of weird seal. Um, we've got the first part of. Kindness News. And we've got a couple of. Oh. Thank you. We have got kindergarten kids, an American uh, news article. Uh, uh, American news article today. American news uh, uh, article. Oh, Russ. This is American news. Oh, oh. Um, January, can I just tell you a story before I get to Kindness News? I I took uh, Sophie. Uh, who listeners, regular listeners will know, is um, a regular contributor to the show. My, my youngest daughter is 10. Um, and uh, I took her, uh, uh, I took her <laughs> skateboarding and scootering over our local skate park uh, today. And she was uh, making some of the strangest noises as she was practicing. Oh, that's so fun, isn't it? Practicing tricks. One of them, she fell off her skateboard and managed to just go whoop. And I don't know where that comes from. Where does it? I mean, have you ever fell off a skateboard while walking, Russ? No. <laughs> oh, all right. Fair enough. Let's get on the show. Russ, Russ, have you, have you uh, ever ridden on a skateboard? I haven't, no. Well, see, that's, that's where your floor is. All right. Have you ever whooped? Have you ever I- randomly whooped? I do make funny noises sometimes. Well, here we go. Go yeah. on, tell us about them, Russ. Yeah. I might whoop in the other occasion, or I might burst out into Tears. a cheer. A cheer? A, a random when, cheer? Yeah, especially when I'm playing football. Like the football manager. So you're sitting, in, you're sitting on your laptop, and then suddenly you, you burst out in a whoop or a random cheer. Yeah. Help, uh, help us 
and our listeners understand what that sounds like, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> it's usually the scorer's name, but by a come on, son. Go on, then, give us a random scorer's name. No, we're not, not going to go down. No, that road. no, <laughs> no, it's a funny name. No, it's a no, 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 <laughs> no, no, go on, my son. Go <laughs> son, no. So, so you know, give us, give it. I'll, I'll do it. And you can tell me whether it's accurate. Go on. Yeah, go on. Give me a footballer's name. Mbappe. Mbappe. Is it Mbappe? Go on, my son. No, something like that. Yeah. Something like that, but not yeah. us. So we'd love to hear what, oh. it, what it is. A little bit louder. Go on, show us. Oh, Mbappe. <laughs> Come on, son. <laughs> it's quite aggressive, isn't it? Your your version of celebration. You, you know what? I'm surprised. I'm surprised there's no Russell Dames memes yet. There should be. There, <laughs> need, there needs to be. I, I've just got this image. I've got this image of one meme where it's um it's Russell and then the angry one from inside out, and just, just separated at birth at the bottom. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, okay. So kindergarten kids have never seen st- snow. So a Flor- Florida teacher gets sisters to ship a snowman out to them. Uh, an 800 mile, 78 dollar journey from Kentucky to Florida brought the smiling snowman to a classroom full of kids. Many of them had never laid an eye out, much less a finger on snow. If one f- has family from Florida, it's normal to find that they've never seen snow. That was the case for kindergarten teacher Robin Hughes, who realised almost all of the kids in a Florida classroom and never laid eyes on frozen precipitation after flipping through a book about snow with them. It was this realisation following a trip home for Thanksgiving that drove her to ask a curious request of her sister Amber, who lives in Louisa, Kentucky. She asked if S could mail her some of on the off chance that it's snowed this year. Fast forward to January the 8th, and knowing Estes was due for about 10 inches of snow, Hughes requested that she build a snowman for her classroom. Thus was born Lucky, a snowman with blueberries, carrots, and tweets for eyes, nose, and arms, respectively. Sealed in a temperature control package. I mean, that is a bizarre delivery, isn't it? What's uh, like like Royal Mail or UPS turn up at your door. Why do you need this? Are you um, shipping some food? No, I'm shipping a snowman. Um, <laughs> it's going to make a lot of kids really happy. It is. Lucky flew the priority package to Riverview in Florida. He's here. He's here, the school receptionist shared through the halls when the package was delivered. Um, despite a blueberry shifting in transit, Lucky arrived intact and unmelted in time to be revealed to the kids who received him in utter wonderment. I love that phrase, utter wonderment. I was so excited because he made it and just the pure joy the kids had seen this snowman. They wanted to touch him uh, and asked, is he coming to life? Oh, what a lovely story. You know what? I, I think particularly for children, snow is such an exciting thing. Don't you, Russ? Yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, what do you think, Joe? Do you like I, snow? I really like snow. Um, it's really sad because I haven't seen snow in ages. No, but but when it comes, it is super exciting. So not seeing snow is um, is one of those things where you want to make sure that you, at least once in your life you're doing that. Uh, kind of uh, story two. B bricks out thousands of solid. Oh, go on. Do you want to read it now? Oh, I like these. Um, so since two. Two hundred fifty of the two hundred seventy bee species in Britain are solitary buzzers. The city of Brighton and Hove is establishing mandates to use bee bricks in construction of all buildings above five meters to help encourage these solitary species to nest in them. Bee bricks are what appears to be blocks of Swiss cheese, which are actually a normal building bricks created with small cavities into which bees typically nest. Old brick buildings and crumbling walls have been observed as excellent habitats for bees. And so Brighton and Hove are trying to deploy this simple invention to offer more room on the metaphorical bed for the pollinating in insects. They have also mandated swift bricks, which offer the same cost of home, only for nesting swifts, tiny birds that spend a few months in the UK and then migrate to Africa. The Royal Society for the Protection of Birds is consulting with the government to identify which height on which buildings are ideal for the swift bricks. Amazing. Bee bricks are just one of a number of measures they, that really should be in place to address biodiversity concerns. Mm. They've arisen through years of neglect of na the natural environment, said Robert, Robert Nemeth, the town councillor, but behind the initiative. Not everyone agrees that these bee bricks are a good idea. Some point to a lack of evidence that the holes are large enough for bees for a bee nest, that they have a population impact, but that the holes have to be cleaned to prevent harmful mites from residing there. However, there are studies that find bees will build nests inside these holes and cap the entryways to hibernate. Sometimes scientists add that the mites will disappear after one or two seasons and they don't need to be cleaned. Green and Blue is an example of eco-fused construction firm that currently offer bee bricks in the standard portfolio of building materials, as the differences in cost between normal bricks and bee swift bricks are negligible. Lars Chitka, a professor in sensory and behavioural ecology at Queen Mary University, told The Guardian that bees naturally possess hygienic behaviour that would allow them to mitigate the risks at least to some extent, or that they would assess their whole states for using them, which should to some extent counterbalance the risks that come with such long-term nesting opportunities. Amazing. And why do you like the stories about? Oh, it's just so sweet that these they're, they're, they're giving these bees like new homes. And like that bees. that I mean it's interesting. That the part part of the challenges uh challenge we've got is as we build more and as we um as we look at ways that we impact our environment we do need to consider the fact that you know nature is at home in our environment I totally so, agree. Right? yeah and we need to we we need to think about how we potentially accommodate nature in um in when we do something to um to the planet really it's really interesting and on that note, actually, it's a really good introduction to our interview this week, which is with Grant Mayton from the Essex Wildlife Trust. And funny enough, one of the conversations we do have is about making sure that we're in a position where we do more uh, to support nature in our environment. So should we listen to the interview with Grant? Yes. Great. Hi, Grant. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, kindness podcast today uh how are you mate yeah good 
Yeah, good. Good. So yeah. I've just had a meeting with Seb, actually. Oh, good stuff. So you've, you've been in the Zemi Centre, yep. which is where, uh, for our for our listeners of the podcast, this will mean nothing to you guys, particularly if you're uh, listening in another country. But we're based in uh, a place called the Zemi Centre, which is uh, on the Bo- Essex-London borders. It's where my office is, my work office is. And, um, yeah, uh, Grant's come to join us here to talk about the Wildlife Trust. So, firstly, before we do the Wildlife Trust bit, tell us a little bit about you well about me um, I've always been passionate about wildlife since I was a kid my uh, dad was an insurance broker up in London in the 1960s and 70s and uh, I was born in 1962 and I've just grown up with wildlife but uh, I spent uh, sort of nearly 25 years in the city uh, on various careers in financial advising, uh, futures market, all sorts of things like that. And um, I never thought that I would be able to follow my passion for nature conservation and wildlife, etc. Uh, and I, basically back in 2006, I had a light bulb moment and uh, gave up a city career and uh, followed my dreams and got a job with Essex Wildlife Trust. Amazing. Talk to me a bit about your enduring memory as a kid and, and nature. When when did that, like, what, what was the thing that stands out the most? Well, the thing about, um, I mean, I'm going to be 60 this year. When I was a kid, nature was abundant. You know, it was everywhere. Yeah. And, um, Where you know, did you live? Where did you uh, live? I lived in Rochford. Okay. Um, yeah. So, sort of um, an area where a lot of uh, people from the East End of London moved out of places like Walthamstow to um, to Rochford to, uh, onto the new housing estates in the 1950s that were built after the war. Um, but the good thing was, is there was still lots of countryside, lots of uh, nature to see. And my dad used to take us, um, sort of like uh, for walks. Yeah, and... for walks, and we used to. Um, yeah, catch sort of newts and uh, slow worms and frogs and toads and yeah. lizards and, and all sorts of things because they were abundant. And at the time, you didn't feel like they all had to be protected. Uh, so I kind of grown up with, I used to have a vivarium, which is a place where you can keep some of these things in my shed. And um, so I used to observe um, wildlife. I had two ponds in the garden that my dad allowed me to... Um, uh, what did to you have in the ponds? Uh, just uh, didn't have fish. Um, we, we just literally had frogs, newts, toads, yeah, yeah, uh, all yeah, sorts yeah. of things like that. So for me, wildlife was just something that was always there from when I was a, when I was a toddler. And um, but when I became sort of a teenager, I noticed things changed. Um, we started to do lots of uh, development. The ponds that I'd grown up with as a kid started to get filled in. Gotcha. And um, and I didn't know at the time because I wasn't really involved with Essex Wildlife Trust, but that was when Essex Wildlife Trust were formed. They were founded in 1959 because of the very thing that I've just mentioned, property yeah. development. Yeah, so like urbanisation. Urbanisation has been in all the places that I grew up a, 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 as a kid. Uh, was being concreted over. Gotcha. Because yeah. we needed somewhere to live, and and um, we're yeah. not saying we don't need somewhere to live, but it's it just didn't take wildlife into account. Yeah. And because um, those those places that were being developed on, I'd imagine, were the habitat habitats yeah. of yeah, the wildlife the that were there. And the planners didn't really appreciate what was being uh, bulldozed mm. over for for these big housing developments. There wasn't the regulation in those days for uh, for the developers to adhere to, and uh, and there was so much countryside that at the time it didn't seem like we were. Gotcha. We were yeah, yeah, yeah. Damage. yeah. But obviously we were. And yeah. um, I'd, I'd imagine that. I mean, we can talk about this a little bit later on. But there's a 
slippery slope. Isn't there is there? a slippery so once slope. Once it starts, it's difficult yeah, to stop. Yeah, and, and you know, I lived on a on a housing estate that was called the Holt Farm Estate. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it was because it was Holt Farm. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Holt Farm doesn't exist anymore. We've we've nice um, um, sort of road names like uh, Larkfield Close and yeah. Ashcombe and things like yeah. that. Well, sadly, the ash and the and the, the larks have gone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what? Well, um, so you mentioned about sort of the trust being set up in '59. Um, was it '59? Yeah. You said. Talk to me a little bit about the the purpose of the trust and why it exists. Well, it was it originally it was set up by um, literally in somebody's uh, living room. Okay. Uh, a guy called Don Humford and various other people. I can't. I don't know all of their names, but. The- there were a number of trusts. There are 46 wildlife trusts across the country, and they were all formed. Some of them were formed in the 1920s. Some of them were formed in the 50s and 60s, d- different sort of um, uh, age sort of ranges. Um, but they were mainly started up by people who were so worried about the development mm. that they realised that nature had to have a voice. And so they started off as small little groups. They set up small charities, and um, they started to see whether they could purchase land uh, some of it might be land that was already a nature reserve yeah, as yeah. such, but didn't actually have the name nature reserve. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. they'd look out for uh, places of, um, you know, of, of good value uh, from a nature point of view. And, uh, and they've all grown since then mm. uh, to what we are now. Uh, the wildlife trust movement. Uh, so, so they, as I say, they started off literally with maybe a couple. So, of started off as like independent little charities. Yeah, they were mainly without charity. each other, and then yeah. came as a collective. Yeah, there wasn't right. a cohesion. Um, so, there was one starting off in. Well, in fact, Essex Wildlife Trust was originally called the Essex Naturalist Society. Gotcha. So, yeah. it wasn't even called the Essex Wildlife okay. Trust. And I don't even know what the name of the Suffolk Wildlife Trust, Norfolk Wildlife yeah. Trust, etc. What they started off as. Yeah. Um, but that's how they all started. And then uh, in, in recent times, they coalesced around what we call the Royal Society of Wildlife Trusts or the Wildlife Trust, yeah. which is our national body, yeah. which represents all... And I'd, ima- I'd, I'd imagine there's, a, there's strength in power, isn't there, in terms of getting all of these yes. interested organisations together? Yeah, to, because... To- Initially, you know, obviously, if you're Essex Wildlife Trust, you might only be able to influence things in Essex. Yes. So, Essex County Council or or with the businesses in Essex and everything. Whereas, obviously, if you want to represent uh, the um, nature and nature conservation to the government, it's much better if you go along as the Royal Society of Wildlife Trust as a collective than the government. Because um, if if you look at the Wildlife Trust, the 46 of us, there's over 800,000 uh, members right. across yeah, the yeah, country, yeah. Yeah, yeah. of which 39,000 are based in Essex. Right. It's much better if you go to large organisations, large um, national businesses, international businesses and, um, and governments. It's better if you go representing 800,000 members yeah, yeah. than 39,000 members. Also, it helps us talk with one voice. Yeah. Yeah, it confuses uh, bigger organisations if we talk with 46 voices and but our advantage locally is we can talk with one voice in Essex yeah. Yeah. and I suppose there's there's elements that you can you can do locally 
But you know, without policy change, some of those local efforts are going to be lost, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, some of the big um, sort of uh, um, sort of nature and environmental sort of laws, um, you know, are brought in across the whole country. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. need them to be uh, robust enough to protect not just. Uh, I mean, Essex is renowned for its salt marshes. But there are other counties that are renowned for their heathlands, gotcha. uh, or their coastal areas, or their peat bogs, yeah. um, or you know. So, so their each, priorities are different. Yeah, so their priorities are different. But what we want is the wildlife laws to protect all habitats and all wildlife. Mm. It's just that certain counties will have a, a bias towards. But you know, you know what's interesting. You know, it's it's the it's the role of nature and wildlife in our lives and weirdly i don't know about you but i think it's it's become more prominent in the last two years yeah. when we've all been at home yeah so i've been lucky enough to you know i'm lucky enough to live on the sort of back of a county park and walking and actually i'm a runner so running in the county mm. park was my mental health godsend yeah. during the yeah. pandemic particularly as i was completely failing at homeschooling a 10 year old that didn't go well i've got to be honest um and i think there is a there is a um you know mental health benefit to being out in nature what do you think absolutely i mean i I, probably many of your uh, your listeners will will resonate with this Uh, i probably even though i work for essex wildlife trust and uh, and am passionate about nature i don't think i've got to know my local woods and my local nature reserves more than the last two years yeah yeah because yeah. with all the lockdowns and the social distancing and all sorts of things where we can't go up to london we can't go on holiday and everything um the only thing you could do was walk stay down local to the local yeah. uh, park or the local woods and everything i mean to be to be fair my dog's never been walked more in the last <laughs> two years i think they, it got to a point uh, at the end of lockdown one where he was like i don't want any more walks yes, i yeah. just don't want to do it anymore yeah i mean one, yeah. i mean one of the things we we smiled about in a way was uh, i mean some of our because of the lockdown some of our paths actually got wider and wider yes because yeah, everybody yeah, was yeah. trying to socially distance so what was, <laughs> yeah. what was normally a path that hadn't been used much before the lockdown yeah people with people were just using it yeah all, so suddenly yeah, the yeah. path was two two meters wide yeah, yeah because we're all trying to socially distance yeah. and everything but and that was a so that was a good problem to have actually yeah it meant a lot more people and more people are appreciating it right that, that's the yeah. so so that's what i'm going to do is like have a look at a bit a bit of the of, of the wider picture and then focus on it specifically so what do you think the challenges are for you know for wildlife trust in the uk more generally well i i work on the corporate side so i work on the corporate fundraising side for essex wildlife trust and the the challenges are obviously you know we've had recently the COP26 um, um, uh, meeting up in um, up in Scotland, where we had all the world leaders um, uh, talking about um, carbon reduction and the climate crisis and things like that, uh, which is all well and good, you know, very very uh, lovely lofty words etc. Lots of things agreements signed etc. But the main problem is trying to drill that down to how you 
um, convert that into local practical, um, practical action, practical yeah, yeah. action, and how how small businesses, individuals, uh, obviously I'm talking mainly on the business side, but even individuals, how can we influence change? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where people can uh, can make a difference. Mm. Uh, we make it easy for them because we yeah. educate them about some of the things they can do. We make it cost effective as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't tell everybody to all your uh, petrol diesel cars are going to be obsolete in nine years' time without yeah. a solution. Yeah, yeah. So it's a case of really um, kind of learning um, the best practice from some of the businesses that have already been doing this for 20, 30 years before it was necessary or before it was fashionable. Uh, it's finding innovative companies and individuals who are coming up with solutions. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, for instance, you know, there's a whole raft of uh, renewable energy starting to mm. come on stream and things like that locally and nationally and internationally. Um, so the biggest challenge is is taking us all on the same journey. Even Essex Wildlife Trust, you know, we've only just got our what we call our Green Dragon accreditation, which is the benchmark that we've aligned ourselves to work out our carbon footprint um, because we didn't know our own carbon footprint. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. even as a wildlife conservation charity, yes, wildlife conservation is our is our passion. It's our remit as a charity, um, yeah. but there's bigger things that we need to do uh, because we could do the best wildlife conservation work in Essex. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But if we destroy the Brazilian rainforest, yeah, if you're not involved in the yeah, look at that, the bigger picture. Yeah, and that affects yeah. the whole climate. Then all the good work we've done in Essex just gets undone yeah, yeah, yeah. because we, you know. And 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 so that so that's you know yes how do we and I suppose I suppose part of that is education isn't it you know helping people understand the impact of their decisions yes. on on nature so so what what we're trying to do is we're trying to get the balance between obviously carrying on with our uh, conservation work that we've been doing since 1959, building on that conservation work, trying to uh, help uh, Essex become a greener county, uh, get uh, property developers to uh, maybe uh, make a place for nature. Um, We've got a 30 by 30 campaign where we'd like 30% of Essex to be under what we call positive conservation to increase what we call is biodiversity, yeah, which is yeah, basically yeah. increasing the amount of species that there yeah. are out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, without um, stopping business functioning, without... Um, we, we know Getting the balance right. Getting the balance right. The balance right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so we're on a steep learning curve, but the idea is, is that as a conservation charity, hopefully businesses, individuals, uh, local authorities, um, those that are wanting to make a difference can learn from us, but equally we can learn from them. Great. So that was part one of the interview with Grant. Part two will be next week. More chat from Grant from the Essex Wildlife Trust. All good stuff. But on that note, tis the end. Tis the end of another podcast, but the end is never truly the end because the end is always the beginning of something entirely new. And last week's question of the podcast will be answered today by you. So last week's question of the podcast is, Waltz, what's the best sport in the Winter Olympics? Uh, Steve Dan says he absolutely loves the curling. And as we recall this, we've won a couple of medals in the curling, which is good news. Uh, Dave Gannon said he loves snowboarding. Steve Stewart said uh, curling, closely followed by bobsleigh, but only when the Jamaicans are involved. Yeah, I'm on. Uh, no, Steve, <laughs> Steve Jules.
Chilton said Bungles. Sam Chilton said Snowball Cross. The dog said Wolf. Matthew <laughs> Wong said he's a snowball fighting in it. I'd love to see snowball fighting. How would you do a point system with it? Though? Easy. Easy. You just colour the snowball like you do like paintball, throw the snowball, and then if it stains, then you're in a position where you, you win a point. There you go. Um, uh, Justin Gaffney said Bob sailed away. Sean Acton likes the downhill skiing. Al McCann, long track speed skating. It's soothing and they actually raise the clock not against each other. Dave was like likes the mogul skiing with two jumps on the way down always blows my mind. Such a hard test of strength, skill, flexibility, and coordination. Snowboarding is also very cool, Chris Dames. I'm with you on that. Uh-huh. John Cook also wanted to know whether snowball fight was a sport. And uh, Bedroom Floyd said curling, bobsleigh, and speed skating uh, too. Tam Kane said the crazy one where they lie on a try and go eight, eight miles an hour down an ice covered uh, half pipe. Luge, I think it's called. That is called luge. And that is like, it's just mad. Like, it's no protection. You're on a like a ice board and you're just going down this massively uh big hill and brian hill i think he means sort of um uh uh what do they call that ski ballet ice dancing figure skating figure skating the one i like brian hill likes figure skating <laughs> um and on twitter eileen murphy said um uh snowboarding is good um, and great that um, so many young people can do it. And on that note, my friends, that's the end of another podcast. Um, Lovely to um, have you join us. See you next week on The Kindness Project. Bye. Bye. Bye.